This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome, welcome. You are here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff for the next 30 minutes. We're here for you. We're here for your pets. So um, if you have any questions, give us a call. In fact, we were just talking about with my producer, Mark, that we know we, you're listening out there to the podcast. Why aren't you calling? You don't have to call. If you don't even have a question about your pet, you just want to call. We want to make sure you're alive and well. So just give us a call to say, hey, hi, Doc. How you doing? So uh, area code 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. Or if you are not shy, if you are not an embarrassed kind of person, you can join us here on Zoom. You can be live. It's great. So you just go on to Pet Life Radio, click on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff under shows, and there's a link left for our Zoom link, and you can talk to us here live and just kind of, you know, as I said, just pop in. You can come and go. Just uh, make sure you're, uh, you know, we want to make sure you're breathing. That's all very simple. So as you know, we are going to, before we talk about a subject I want to talk about, because I've been, it's so weird how things happen in groups, and I've had two cases of it. I'm not going to, well, I'll give you a little hint, but you don't want to hear more about it. And I have another one coming in tomorrow. And the presenting complaint was hematuria. What does hematuria mean? Bleeding blood in the urine and a little straining to urinate. So straining blood. And it's so weird that I've had these cases literally back to back and starting tomorrow, back to back to back. And they say bad things happen in threes. Maybe maybe that's what it is, but it's crazy because I, I haven't seen one of these in a while. And all of a sudden, in one week, I had two. And starting next week, Monday, tomorrow, I have another one. But just some things to uh, that piqued my attention and I thought would be like to share to you. I think it's good stuff about pets. And of course, if you have anything you want to share with us, then you can get a hold of us, call me live here, and we can go through it. If you have any questions, something about a diagnosis that you're not sure about, you got to have pets. I tell you why you have to have questions. I just know it. Why? Because now with COVID, a lot of hospitals are doing what we call curbside. Of course, they're doing it the wrong way, but they're doing curbside. So they're having someone come out and grab your pet from the car and they go inside and you're in the car. And at best, at best, they'll call you on the phone. Not usually why the exam is going on. They're going to call you afterwards. And they're inevitably, you have something's going on with your pet. You didn't go in just for vaccines because there are a lot of them aren't even doing just routine stuff now. And there's a problem. And you are not getting the answers you want. And then all of a sudden you think about something. Oh, no, well, I'm sorry. The doctor is unavailable right now. He can call you later, which he never does. So you are sitting there on edge wondering what is going on. Here is your chance to talk about what's going on, get some answers, some helpful advice, and we can go from there. So this is really cute. I just read a book about this, and it was more of a, of a novel kind of book, but I believe there's a lot of truth to it. And this, this research actually shows, and it's proving that same premise about the domestication of the wolf ancestors, wild dogs, and how did this all happen? Well, table scraps may have led to dog's evolution, all right, as a domesticated pet. So here, here, here's how, how it worked. The hunter-gatherers, their behavior started to domesticating process. How? Because they would eat meat, they would hunt, and they would get meat. And what they would do for the extra table scraps, because as we know, we're not only meat eaters, we are omnivores, we eat other things. So after we're full, we finish the meat, there might be some leftover meat. 
Well, there wasn't refrigeration. So what did they do with the extra scraps, especially the lean meat scraps? They would toss them to these wild dogs. And so they would sort of start feeding these dogs. And now this turned these wild dogs from competitors into companions. So then what would happen is they would know that this extra food would be left for them. So they would come up to and close to these hunter-gatherers while they were eating, and they knew that they were going to be getting the leftover scraps. And that sort of eased. They weren't an enemy anymore. Actually, they were a friend. So that was the process that kind of started this whole thing where our dogs become, in essence, dependent on us, but maybe even not dependent. Well, I guess really domesticated dogs are. But as the process of evolution continued, they became more and more comfortable near us and looked forward to being with us because of the food they were getting. And um, I think it's really cool. I, the way I look, I always thought it was this, and I, I talked to one of my colleagues about this. You know, you go back to like, you know, really, really old times. And, you know, you, you had a, these pre, you know, man, you know, beings, the Neanderthals, whatever. And uh, they were sitting in there hunting and they had a long, hard day and they're sitting out there and some dog came over to them for food. And they was doing this and they're kind of cute, right? These dogs. So all of a sudden they reached out and they started petting and they realized, oh my God, get them under the chin, get them on top of the head. Oh, they like this. And they come for more. So now it's time for breeding. And which ones would be bred? Well, the ones that were these men, right, had some kind of relationship with. So they were the ones that we used to breeding. And whatever that trait was that started this in the first place, now it is being passed on genetically to their offspring. And then they're going to be used, and they're all, et cetera, et cetera. So over generations, we've created this domestication process where these animals love us. We love them. We are very in tune to each other. Probably they more to us than we to them. And we have this wonderful relationship with our dogs. So there's a research, pro- another research project going on investigating COVID-19 in the, the veterinary sector. And that's very interesting because we know a lot of veterinarians like myself are seeing patients. We're seeing them face to face, even some that are doing somewhat of a curbside, but they're going out to car. And there's, there's definitely exposure between the veterinarian, the clinical veterinary staff and our clients. And We know that there have been cases of COVID within the veterinary staff. I, for one, in my hospital has had it. And um, actually three of us had it. And very mild cases, totally asymptomatic, and yet testing positive. But there are no numbers to really evaluate how we, the veterinary profession, and how you, clients, are interacting and suffering the effects of COVID-19. So they're anyway, they're starting to do some studies in the US and Canada just to get some more data, more information. How many clients? We know there have, there have been some, but we don't know how many. We don't know how frequent it is. We don't know what kind of percent it is. We don't know how much are coming from hospitals that are allowing clients in, how much are, are coming from hospitals that don't allow clients in. We have no idea. So I think it's interesting. It's interesting to note, it's not stopping me from doing what I like doing best, and that is seeing clients face-to-face, and yeah, we're we're the master. We're doing the six feet. We're doing, you know, we're taking a lot of our precautions. But you cannot do a good job with an animal communicating with a client without having that one-on-one, face-to-face during the exam. I think clients, you don't always remember. You don't always think get things that, that that you were supposed to talk about, or sometimes you don't understand and you feel badly because the technician is running back and forth to the car. You're not getting a real answer. You you need to be interacting directly with your veterinarian. So veterinarians that aren't doing it should be doing it. If they're not offering a, a, a curbside that is effective, then 
it may be time to, to well, I, I would say look for another vet. Easily said and more easily said than done because vets are not taking new clients. Yeah, till March or April. Who knows? It's crazy out there. So maybe you should start converting your vet into one who does a better job with uh, communicating with you. Okay, more COVID. So the SARS, uh, there's going to be a SARS-CoV-2 vaccine for cats. It's in the works. Uh, there are two companies that have joined forces. One is the Takis Biotech out of Italy. The other one is Applied DNA Sciences out of New York are collaborating on a feline vaccine for the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Now, why? There have been about 54 cases in the United States on domesticated cats of positive COVID, but none of them have gotten sick. None of them have died. And the concern is, as we've seen already in minks, possibly in ferrets, that there is a mutation within the virus inside these animals to where they might be more virulent if they can get passed back to people. So the feeling is if we can vaccinate them and stop this mutation, stop the spread of the virus from, or the potential spread of the virus from cats to people, then we'll be obviously helping people as well and or other pets. So uh, I think that's, it's really good news. And apparently this Takis Biotech is also one of the companies that's making, uh, in the process of making a vaccine for us as well. Okay. How many of you have seen, I'm sure you go on the internet and you see pictures of many animals. And one of the types of pictures that are going around are pictures involving these huge cats. I mean, we're talking domestic cats, but huge. Like, you know, you see that one guy holding up a cat that's 30 pounds. Well, guess what? These <laughs> videos and pictures of chunky cats is not doing cats any good. It actually, it's a, setting up a dangerous trend because now people think it's cool to have a cat that's big and overweight so you can put it on the internet. It reminds me of the stupidity of people getting their, their pets high on marijuana and then videotaping them, these pets that were high, stoned on marijuana, and they're, they're flopping all over the place. They can't sit up straight. They're walking and they're falling down. And everybody thinks, oh, my God, this is so funny. No, it's not. It's not a good thing to do. It's very dangerous. And, um, you know, but you know, what can you say? There's some people out there that maybe have a different mindset, different type of sense of humor, if you can call it that. Anyway, chunky cats. So as we know, they're perpetuating this unhealthy trend. Even a cat is overweight by as little as two pounds because you have a 10 pound cat, two pounds is 20% of body weight. So now if you take a person who's 150, that's 30 pounds. That's a lot. So um, you got to be really, really uh, careful. I mean, not, not 30, three pounds. So um, 150. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so but it's really important to know that uh, that is a lot of weight, 20% of body weight is going to be 30 pounds. That is a lot. So now, and what do we know about fat animals? Well, joint pain, skin problems, reproductive problems, heart disease, and cats, diabetes, and dogs too, diabetes. There are a lot of negative things that can happen. So when we're thinking about an increase of, they say even if an animal is 10%, or 20% above their optimum body weight, by 20%, that's already considered obese. Overweight is anything up to 20%. Some now, because of the problem we're seeing, some experts say even saying as much as 15% above body weight. So again, if you have that you know, 10 pound cat, all right, 20% is two pounds. So you gotta be really careful. 15% is one and a half pounds. So you gotta be very careful at what point do we consider our pets obese or just overweight, but there are problems associated with that. Florida bill, a bill in Florida that is going to fine people who leave their pets outdoors in unclement, untoward weather. Now, 
what's if it's if they're unprotected they have to be protected now what's interesting is think about it this is coming from florida how much of our weather in florida is so cold that we have to worry about our pets let's get the people in kansas and chicago and the midwest and the northeast they should be the ones up in montana wyoming they're the ones that should be making this rule um, they get their house and if people are not taking care of their pets leaving them outdoors without protection from the wind and from just the cold weather they're the ones to be fine. This same bill was, they attempted to pass it in Florida a couple of years ago and it didn't pass. Why? Well, <laughs> the fine was $5,000 and up to a, a year in jail. So now they've sort of modified this bill to a first offender is only going to be a warning. And then after that, it's going to be a for repeat offense, $500 fine. They don't talk about jail. So maybe this time it'll pass. But I think if a state like Florida, is willing to make pass a bill like this. Just think about states in the Northeast, the North, that have much, many more problems with cold, freezing cold weather. They should be following suit as well. And now, last one before we cut, go to our break. And that is now that many of us are spending more and more time with our pets because of COVID. So there's some concern among the behaviorists that you had that perfect pet, right? It was doing great. Now you're home, you're spoiling the heck out of it. So what happens? So now what's going to happen is that when life gets back to normal and you are going back to work, even if it's part-time, we might see an increase of pets suffering from separation anxiety. Why? Before this, they were okay. They weren't those pets that are so neurotic that are just going nuts when they're left alone. But now that they're so used to having you there every minute of the day, what's going to happen when you're no longer there? That's something to think about. So you might you might want to start easing your pets. If we see, once the vaccine's out there and it's out there already, and I don't know if they haven't started the masses yet, but once that starts happening and we are going to be more comfortable getting back out into our lives, then you might want to start working with your vet, letting me know, and we can talk about some simple ways to sort of slowly have your cat readjust or your pet readjust to not having you there all the time. And uh, so think about it. And when we come back, we're going to talk about dogs or cats, mostly dogs. Well, actually, it can happen in both. That when you're seeing blood in the urine, what does that mean? What are some of the potential problems? And what can you do about it? Don't go away, but right now. Molly, here's your dinner. <laughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There's no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Radio.com, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. 
for more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. And welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Death of Dr. Jeff. Before the break, we talked about hematuria, blood in the urine. What is going on? So there are many, many things that cause it. And, you know, people panic. When you see blood come from anywhere, there's a certain degree of panic, and maybe rightly so. So what are some of the things that we think about? Well, let's talk cats, for example, first. So cats suffer from a condition we used to call FUS feline urologic syndrome. Now, because we're, we're more in tune to what it's all about and where the problem lies, it do- doesn't really happen in the kidneys. It is now, it's in the lower urinary tract, thus the name change, F-L-U-T-D, feline lower urinary tract disease. And um, so now you just have, think how much smarter you are now. Now you know what F-L-U-T-D is. So the issue is that this can be caused by many factors. It causes a cystitis. It can be caused by stress, anxiety, nerves, infection, diet, water intake, etc. And it, it, many, many factors will affect cats' urinary tract. Crystals in the urine is another one, or even stones. Now, females and males seem to suffer from this about the same, but males seem to have more issues with it. Why? Because if there are crystals or small, small stones, the likelihood of causing a blockage in the male, given the male's urinary tract and their plumbing, if you will, is much, much greater. So the same little teeny crystal that would easily pass through a female will not pass through a male. It will get stuck in the distal portion of the urinary tract. Since we've learned so much more about it, we know that diet plays a huge role and therefore, we are um, have improved diets. We're just not seeing as much. Sometimes this happens with regularity, or if it's, it's a repeat offender, a surgery is done called a PU, which is a perineal urethrostomy. And basically, what that does, it amputates the distal portion of the cat's plumbing. All right, and we take the wider urethra, sew it in place, and almost make the male more like a female in the width of its urinary, the urethra at the outflow tract to make it easier for them to urinate. But of course, if we have issues like this and a cystitis, which is an inflamed, large, thickened bladder, you can have, by the way, sterile cystitis, which is a thickened bladder without bacteria. So it's not urinary tract infection and not a UTI. It is just part of FLUTD. And it's for another reason, the bladder gets very thickened. When the bladder gets thickened, and this is for both cats and dogs, the urge to have to urinate is greater. It takes less urine buildup in the bladder to start putting pressure on the wall because the wall doesn't stretch anymore as much because it's all thickened. So therefore, one thing you notice is this urge to urinate so frequently. Going to the litter box and the cat like several times a day in a dog going outside and trying to urinate, trying to urinate, and really nothing's just little squirts coming out. Now, if you see blood, we call that hematuria. And this could be because there's so much irritation within the surface of the bladder called the bladder wall, all right, in the mucosal portion of the bladder wall, that it starts to bleed. So this usually is causing either, be, either because of much more 
aggressive thickening or because of crystals or because of stones, something is rubbing into that bladder and it's almost like a sandpaper effect. And now you, these animals have a not only that urge to frequently urinate, but hematuria. And one of the things we do when we have this problem is we're going to take either x-rays or ultrasound or both. With x-rays, you can see stones if they are what we call radio-opaque. If they are radio-loosened stones, like urate calculi, for example, crystals, or some oxalates, we may not see them. The struvites, we will definitely see. So when you take a picture, an x-ray, you'll be able to see the stones. Now, little crystals you don't often see. And if they're radio-loosened, we may not see them on x-ray, but we can see them possibly on ultrasound. And on ultrasound, you can also evaluate the wall. When you do a picture on a radiograph of a bladder, all you see is basically the outline of the bladder. You can't determine what from the inside is urine, what is wall, et cetera. On ultrasound, you can. So that's why oftentimes you'll notice your doctor's going to want to do both. I want to show you here for just a moment, and I may have shared this with you last week, but I had a Chihuahua flying from New Jersey, and we went ahead. We knew that from their doctor, there were stones. They wanted an exorbitant amount of money for the surgery. They flew the dog out to me for the surgery. They're old former clients of mine. I don't get people that want to fly animals out all the time. However, I did get a call from a woman in Virginia Beach who wants to meet a, to do a dentistry on her dog. She said she doesn't trust anybody else. I said, well, you never even met me. She goes, but I follow you on Instagram. So uh, that's good. It's a compliment. But anyway, so this is what I had. If you could see this, look at the stones on this. This is all coming out of one little chihuahua. And I hadn't seen this, something like this in the longest time, right? And I'm thinking, oh my God, this is crazy. Anyway, dog's doing great. Talked to the owners yesterday on a follow-up. I was in on Friday and I get a call about another chihuahua from one of the rescues. I'm sure you've heard of Vanderpump. I work with them and I, I do some of their rescue work. And they had a dog that hematuria, the same exact thing. I took x-rays and you couldn't believe the x-rays. So, I mean, I think there were more stones in this one than the other one. Anyway, so sure enough, I could not let this poor dog suffer. So right away after I took the x-rays, I called them and says, we have to do surgery on this thing. This is amazing. So mind you, the same breed, a set chihuahua. And you, the, when I took the bladder out of the stomach after I you know, cut the abdomen and I exteriorized the bladder to feel it, all you could feel, it felt like it was full of marbles. So here it is. Now mind you, this is a different dog completely. Look at that. You see, there were like, what, one, two, seven of them. And look how big that one is on the lower left. I don't know if it's the lower left on my screen. I don't know if it's the same as yours, but it's huge. So, and these are rock hard stones. Can you imagine just the discomfort of this poor dog? There was no room for urine to fill up. So as soon as the kidneys sent a little bit of urine to the bladder, this dog felt it had to go. And now it's going and it's pushing and it's pushing and the wall is rubbing against these stones. You can imagine why this dog had hematuria. Also, there were a couple of the smaller ones you saw. They weren't even in the bladder anymore. They were in the urethra. They were trying to make their way out. We had to flush them back in so uh, we can uh, you know, take care of this. It is literally crazy. So um, anyway, Hematuria, strange area. They often go together because usually when there's blood, it's partly because of straining. We call that strange area. Could be a UTI, urinary tract infection. It could be just merely stones and crystals. Oh, another thing, the, the why you can't see crystals on an x-ray, but you can on ultrasound. And sometimes, you know a snow globe? You've seen snow globes before, right? Well, when you have the ultrasound probe on the abdomen, right over the bladder, and you can basically, what we do is we kind of rock, shake 
the bladder, and all of a sudden you see these, it's like a snow globe. You see these crystals just floating in the urine that's inside the bladder. Now these are, you don't have to cut necessarily cut these open and remove. The ones that need to be removed are these huge stones. If you have much smaller stones, there are some great diets that can help dissolve. There's the SD diet. There's a, a renal diet. Purina one has one. There is a, uh, let's see. Oh, uh, Royal Canaan has one. There's some really good diets. You need to speak to your veterinarian because if you get them on the right diet and change the urinary pH, there's a possibility of dissolving some of these smaller stones to the point where they can pass through. When they're big like this, there's no way. It's just too dangerous. You run the risk of when they're really big and then you start cutting them down. If they start making their way out of the urethra, then they can lodge somewhere in the urinary tract. And that is even more of a difficult surgery because you have to retrograde flush them back into the bladder to be able to remove them. So when they're this big, the best thing to do is surgery. But when you do surgery like this, it's very important to modify the pet's diet so it doesn't happen again. You need to look for, in most cases, an acidifying diet. Some cases, one to make it more basic with urate calculi, that's more, now those are the, that's the stones that Dalmatians often get. And that is more of, a, of a, an entire problem with how food is digested, um, the, the amino acids. So that is, sometimes you have to get these dogs on a special diet and a medication, uh, it's called allopurinol, to help prevent the formation of new stones. So when you do this, uh, this on a Dalmatian, typically you're gonna have to have them on some sort of preventive for the rest of their lives because it can happen again. So it's rather complicated. One thing I like about surgeries where when you do them, the difference you make in the pet's life is immediate and dramatic. Of course, you're going to have post-operative swelling. There's going to be a little discomfort for a couple of days. But at the end of the day, they're going to feel so much better. You know, sometimes we're doing things on pets that we can help, but we can't solve. You know what I mean? And, and that's the beauty of some of these procedures. When you do a surgery that you know that your hands actually fixed something and makes the pet better, it is just the best feeling in the world. And people sometimes ask me, you know, does it, doesn't it bother you? Sometimes, you know, you have to give shots. You have to do things that hurt animals. Sometimes you have to put them to sleep. Yes, it does. But I have to tell you, those instances pale in comparison to the ones where we can do so much good and make their lives better that I try not to think too much of the bad ones. And I just celebrate all the good ones. Anyway, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining me here live on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. And also, we are also on another radio network. So now we have uh, two radio networks you can see us on or hear us on. And um, if you want to hear any back shows, they're all posted for you on Pet Life Radio. So go on to Pet Life Radio, go to shows, and you can see all of our old shows. Click on them. You can see them. You can listen to them. So uh, they're all recorded. So that is really, really good for you as well. Just if you want to learn something. And if you want again have any questions, you can always reach me here, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. And I will get back to you and answer your questions, help you out as much as I can, given the limitations we have in telemedicine of not being able to prescribe or actually make an exact diagnosis. But I can easily tell you that, boy, from what you're telling me, I had a patient a week ago that had the exact same thing, and this is what it was. I'm not telling you that what yours is, but you get it, Jim. All right, anyway, see you here next week. Same bad time, same bad channel here on Pet Life Radios. Ask the best with Dr. Jeff. Have a great week, everybody. Then we'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions, any topics that you'd like me to cover to help you understand something better, please reach out to me and be happy to uh, help you out there. And of course, if you have any questions, you can always join me 
uh, as, uh, this sign on to my telemedicine app. It is AirVet, airvet.com. And you can uh, just, uh, it's an app. You can just go to AirVet on the App Store or Google Play, sign up, and you can reach a vet who can help you with anything 24-7. Have a great week. See you next week. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.